In the summer of 2007, we were all much more innocent. We didn't realize how greedy bankers actually were. My family was taking part in a uh, family tradition that I have done since I was five. Every year in the summertime, we go up to Mammoth Lakes and we go on vacation and enjoy ourselves up there. Um, it's funny, I, I've been up there countless times. I still enjoy going. But in this particular, particular year, Sierra was four, Sam was two. And if you have ever met Sierra, you know that she loves animals just loves animals. I don't understand why she's becoming a mechanical engineer instead of a veterinarian, but that's what she chose. However, at this point, we were driving along Lake Mary Road. And when Sierra was four, she could yet let out this shrill scream of excitement that would deafen people. And when you're in the car and she lets out the shrill scream and you're driving, it's an unsafe moment for everyone. But Sierra let out this scream. And sure enough, on the side of the road, there was a deer. We swerved, mainly because I wasn't sure what was going on. And Kim, seizing the moment, said, yes, look, a deer. Everybody keep their eyes out for another deer or a bear. Because you do, you see bears every once in a while on the side of the road. So we're driving along, and all of a sudden, Sam exclaims in a very excited voice, look, mom, a hooker. I don't know if Mar- Marilyn, can you bring up the can you bring up the, the PowerPoint? Are we waiting? So there it is. There is the title, and everyone should have their hackles up and be a little bit nervous. Because not of the title, but because of the subtitle, Hookers in Hell, a study of Christian mythology. There is a pervasive belief among new Christian ideology that hell is not a real place. Thankfully, Tom preached on this, uh, I want to say about nine months ago, he talked about Lazarus and the rich man and went into the idea that no, hell is indeed a real place. And today I hope that I'm going to give you some clarity on what hell is like. Because when you hear the word hell, just like when you hear the word hooker, you get a strong visual sense in your own mind. And hell is no different. What do you think of when you hear the word hell? The lake of fire. Eternal damnation. Judgment. Those are all the things we think of when we hear hell. And none of those things are correct. Hell is not the lake of fire. Hell does not represent eternal judgment or damnation. So what do you know of the word hell? Let me give you a quick history of the word hell because I love, I love communication. I like crisp and clear, clean communication. And most of us go through a lot of our Bible never thinking of the background of some of the core parts of our beliefs and hell being one of them. So what is the history of the actual word hell? Hell is... A Germanic word. There you can see all the different versions of it right there. And at its core base purpose, it means an unknown place. But it does have a place in 
pagan Norse mythology as well. It is the place where dead souls reside. So it has this dual meaning of an unknown place and also a place of the dead. And the idea was in the old world that once people died, there was a belief that that wasn't the end, but we didn't know where they went. However, an entire mythology did develop around the idea of the dead and the gods. So the question comes up, is this a good translation? Because when we look at the words in Hebrew and also in Greek, we see some common common grounds there. You can go to the next slide. Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, all these are words used to describe hell. Words that we translate to hell. And I say that we once translated them to hell. And it's interesting, in in recent translations like the New King James Version, we actually at times translate them Hades or Sheol, Gehenna. But often they're thought of by us as hell. Interestingly, if you look back into ancient Greek, if you look into Hebrew, Sheol specifically means an unknown place. And is understood to be a place where the dead resided and still do. Paul, when he translated, he used the word Hades. Christ used the word Hades. There's actually a moment where Christ refers back to the Psalms where David was speaking. Where David translates someone Sheol and Christ brings it forward to Hades. And the interesting part here is that Christ was okay with using the current pagan uh, theology in order to transmit a message, to create an instant understanding, because Hades was a place where the dead resided in Greek mythology. Paul uses the word Tartarus once to refer to a level of hell where demons are chained. So, hearing now the difference between hell, a place of mythology where the dead reside, and the Greek and the Hebrew a place of dead, a place that is unknown where the dead reside, would you guys say it's a good translation? I'll wait. No? I think I thought it was pretty good. But, as you guys will see, there is a big but there. Hell and Hades have a dual meaning in th- mythology. And this is where our problems begin to arise. Hell and Hades create an unfortunate correlation. They are not just places. They are gods in the mythology. And they are gods that rule the place in which they reside. So a Christian mythology has essentially arisen from this corollary. We see now that Satan is sometimes viewed as the ruler of hell. That his demons are there tormenting people, torturing people as they burn in eternal damnation in hell. We've created this weird situation where we have an adversary in the form of the armies of hell. 
We have this idea that the forces of heaven and Christ are always clashing with the forces of hell, and sometimes earth is the battleground. And there is no question that Christ and the angels do contend with the demons and with Satan. But this isn't a battle. This isn't like an unknown moment where we're like, oh gosh, who's going to win this one? We're not going in hoping that we're the victors. In our hearts, we know that we have already won. That there really was never any battle in the first place. It was more God needed to make sure that we could come before him. And yet, the mythology persists. Even worse, culture works to dilute hell. You see it in phraseology, which we'll go over humorously in a moment. You see it in music. Heck, you see it in art. I love Farsight. I hope I'm not going to hell. <clears throat> so why? Why do we dilute hell when it is a core part of our belief system? And the reason is pretty simple. H-E double hockey sticks is a scary place. And the idea that we are sent there is wrong. We are not sent there. We choose to go there, which is more uncomforting for us. We have a snowball's chance in hell to get the hell out of here because earth's going straight to hell in a handbasket. It's getting hotter than the hinges of hell here. He was driving like a bat out of hell. When I gave him hell, all hell broke loose and we fought like hell. A hellcat flew over our hell hole and shot the hell out of the bad guys while we screamed out, give him hell. It was hell on earth. Why the hell do we let Scott preach? Well, it'll be a cold day in hell before we let him do it again. I don't know who the hell made that choice, but there will be hell to pay. You know what they say. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Intentions. I hear it's a veritable highway to hell. The hell, you say. We use hell a lot. Sometimes inappropriately. I use it inappropriately there a number of times. But the point is, is we have become number and number to the word of hell. It's a good descriptor. We understand what it means instantly when we hear the word hell. Or at least we think we do. And the problem is the world, the secular vision of hell has begun to bleed into our belief system. Pro popular refrain in music. <clears throat> is Christ went down to hell and took back every key. Now, before I jump into this, I'm going to encourage all of you to stop saying, good job, Doug, but blah, 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 blah. I want to hear less contemporary music. I want more contemporary music. I want to do this. I want to do that. Doug does an amazing job leading worship. Doug's heart is after your heart. Doug's heart is always after your heart. He is always worried about what the how can he get the congregation to worship. And I'm saying this because I'm about to beat up a, a verse in a song that we sing. Because it easily finds its way into our belief system. It isn't Doug's fault, right? This is something that's common in Christian belief cir circles of belief. 
This idea that Christ went down to hell and took back every key. And the real problem with that verse is, man, you have to unwrap a deception from something that you believe at your core. Something, an ideology that you're primed to believe. You're primed, if you hear something about Christian beliefs, you want to believe it. You don't want to believe there's people out there spreading ignorance, even though it may be pervasive. So let's look at this phrase. Christ went down to hell and took back every key. Here's some common beliefs about hell. I gave you eight. And the reason I gave you eight is I want you to look at these for just a moment. And I want you to think about which ones are true and which ones are false. Christ descended to hell. Satan is the ruler of hell. Demons torture people in hell. Hell is forever. Christ stole the keys to death and hell. Hell is a lake of fire. Hell combats heaven. Hell's powers are great. So there's eight for you. Take a minute. Consider what's true, what is not. Here's the reality. One of the eight is true. And it's the first one. Christ did descend to hell. There's three verses for you. I will note that hell, once upon a time, was split between two places. Paradise and then judgment. A place of judgment which we would call hell. Now in Christian circles, there's a common belief that Christ, upon dying, took the souls that were in paradise and took them to be alongside him in heaven. That's not really what we're talking about today. But Christ did descend to the place of the dead, which we commonly refer to as hell because it's translated from Hades. Christ holds the keys to hell. He has always held the keys to hell. He did not have to go back and steal anything. They were his from the beginning of time. There are demons imprisoned in hell, but they are not torturing people there. They are shackled in a place called Tart- that Paul refers to as Tartarus, a level, a section of hell. Hell is not permanent. Hell is temporary. Hell will come to an end which we'll talk about. Christ has always held the keys to death and hell. Hell is cast into the lake of fire, which is how we know it's temporary. Hell is an alternate choice to heaven. Hell holds no powers. Hell does not fight heaven. Hell is a place where the dead reside, not where Satan and his demons create plans to fight heaven. Hell holds no power. Hell can't bring you down to hell. You can't be brought down to hell. You choose where you want to go. But these lies, these lies are difficult to see if you are not immersed constantly in Scripture. Because if you go back, sorry, Marilyn, would you go back one slide? A 
lot of these sound good. We like the idea that there's a future judgment, although Lord knows why, since you're all deserving of it. And sometimes it's difficult to parse out what is the, the eternal lake of fire and what's hell. But the problem is we trade between these myths and then go forward again, Marilyn, and these realities, we trade the splendor, the majesty, the immutable characteristics of Christ for this dichotomy of heaven versus hell. Because it, some ways, relieves us of some level of responsibility. Well, you know, Satan had a good day and he got some people. Glad it wasn't me. But it wasn't their fault, right? Satan got them. (laughs) Rough. Satan is demons plotting down there in hell. No. People make choices. They choose whether they want heaven or hell. If they want to be with God or without God which is the definition of heaven and hell. Heaven is just in God's presence. Hell is out of God's presence. We actually have a, we actually have a um, comparison. Which one of these two things is greater? This narrative of hell. The first is that Christ ascended and he vanquished Satan the powers of hell, and retook the keys to death and hell. Ooh, that sounds impressive. Or, alternatively, Christ ascended and, holding the keys to hell and death, the immutable Almighty proclaimed his coming resurrection to the dead. Which one seems more powerful? Which one speaks to God being the creator? And which one makes a better movie? Culture dilutes the truth, distracts from the truth. Revelation 1, 8 and 18. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I am he that liveth and was dead, And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Christ steals nothing. Christ is the creator of all things and holds things. Next slide, Carolyn. Marilyn, sorry. The death of hell. Hell comes to an end, my friends. Hell is a temporary place. A place where people go to await eternal judgment. No one's been eternally judged yet. They may go to hell as a waiting place, but they have not been eternally judged. They are not in the lake of fire. So as I said in the beginning, those things, those visualizations we take away as hell are not hell. Revelations 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. 
and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This will be the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. All of you have a book. Some of you have The Old Man in the Sea. It's a boring book, slow and uh, short. Some of you have um, War and Peace, long, torturous. But all of you have a book. Thankfully, your books, if you are in the lake of, if you are in the book of life, your books will be forgotten, will be eliminated, and you'll be given eternal rest with your Father. Some of you will come, though, to the day of judgment with your book in hand, saying, I am good enough to overcome this book, except me. And you will not be accepted because you will have your book and your name will not be in the book of life. The theology of heaven's armies fighting hell's armies is an insidious lie. The battle lies in you and you alone. Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, Sheol represent your choice, your responsibility, not some cosmic battle of good and evil. Most importantly, Christ's descent and ascension is the proof that there was no battle, that Christ was fulfilling his design so that you would have a choice in the first place. The Alpha and the Omega has been, is, and always will be. The choice is yours. The consequence, additionally, is yours. It is our job to overcome Christian mythology. It is your responsibility to immerse yourself in Christ's words and truth. Because ignorance begets ignorance. The most potent deceptions are the ones that are unknown to both the teller and the hearer. That's what made Sam's deception so poignant when he screamed out, Look, Mom, a hooker. Dear Lord, we know judgment can be a scary moment. The idea that we make a choice about our future, Father. Lord, powerful visualizations can be deceptive if not applied correctly, Lord. If the underlying meaning isn't known, Lord, let us always seek to immerse ourselves in truth, in your truth, in your words. Too often we take for granted that we have a Bible, that we have a history of you, Father, that we have your word given to us 
recorded for us, Father, translated for us. Let us be more cognizant, more intentional in our efforts to understand it, Lord. I pray for every member here, Father, that they would not rely on Tom and I and other teachers, Lord, but that they would immerse themselves into biblical texts, Father, that they would take the time to read your word, Father. Pray, Lord, that this church would not be a place that begets ignorance, but that tries to destroy it, end it, eliminate it, wipe it clean. Let us be a place where truth resides, where it's yearned for, where it's sought after, Father. From the oldest members to the youngest, Father. Let us be people that yearn for the truth, Lord. Let us be people that follow in your footsteps. For as Pontius Pilate asks you, are you a king? Are you here? What are you here for? You replied, I am that you say that I am. I am here to testify to the truth. Let us also testify to the truth, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.